I'm Brian Barnett. I'm just a regular guy. I'm not a doctor. I have no legal license in any field of psychology. But I did live a large part of my life with borderline personality disorder unknowingly. And I really did rid myself of the disorder completely and permanently. Through that, I've become an expert on issues involving emotional health. I accept no responsibility whatsoever for your feelings, thoughts, behaviors, decisions, and actions, including your decision to watch or listen to this show at all. But I do hope you might benefit yourself from the insights I share. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host of The Last Symptom, and I'm very pleased to be back with you and to have you back with me. Have you ever heard of the expression, the uncanny valley? The uncanny valley is a hypothesis, and it what it does is it predicts the level of heebie-jeebies that you'll feel when you see something that is humanoid let's say it that way so typically it's used in robotics as they're developing robotics you you see if if they build a robot and it doesn't look at all human you go oh that's pretty cool that's a pretty cool looking robot I like that as they start creating the robot more and more human looking though there's a period where it gets to resemble a human but it's not quite in other words it it looks a lot like a human but there's something off and so your heebie-jeebie your heebie-jeebie reflex kicks in you know where you feel creeped out uh, or kind of uh, an eerie feeling but the interesting thing is that as the robot as they continue making making the robots more and more human-like so that they're indistinguishable from people well then your feelings your feelings of heebie-jeebiness of eeriness or of uh, creepiness subside and then you begin to empathize with the robot that you can't distinguish from being human but it's called the uncanny valley it's it's how that that kind of curve happens where as you're getting close to human, like doll babies, for example, uh, you know, a lot of doll babies, they're in human form. Take Raggedy Ann and Andy. They're, they're in human form, but they're so far removed from what an actual person looks like that you don't feel the heebie-jeebies. They look actually cute. But then you get something more close uh, you know closer to human in appearance like uh, Chucky <laughs> from the horror movies um, <clears throat> I'm thinking of did you ever see the movie I robot with Will Smith remember the robots in there they had like the facial expressions uh, like really humanistic facial expressions and everything but the rest of them was not um, human in appearance that would be like when you're heebie-jeebie reflex would start to kick in and then so there's a curve there where the closer it gets to human there for a while you start to feel the heebie-jeebies then it becomes so human looking that your heebie-jeebies go away so robotic uh, robot scientists who are working on robots and stuff like that they take this into consideration the uncanny valley and it's interesting that you can have a a robot stands on two legs has two arms has a face and everything as long as it doesn't resemble a human being more than that you're okay with it you're like okay this is a robot but then as it starts to approach human but but doesn't quite get it you know the the minor details are i'll tell you another example of this is the early days of cgi i was complaining not long ago about the rock he was in a movie called the scorpion king or something like that or the mummy uh, at the end of the movie, he turns into like this giant scorpion. And this was in the early days of CGI. And they CGI'd 
uh, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, and made him into this uh, scorpion creature. It was so bad, the CGI in that movie. But that's that's a good example of it. When the CGI doesn't do it right, you know, it, it might look just like him, but there's something off that you just can't put your finger on. It's There's so many minor details that are happening in a human face and with people's expressions and stuff that that we instinctually know that that's a real person I'm talking to. And when the CG, CGI is off, or it's not done right, uh, doesn't that kind of give you the heebie-jeebies? It's like, ugh, it, it looks like a per. <laughs> I keep thinking of more examples. How about these holograms, right? They've had the Tupac uh, holograms. They've had the Michael Jackson holograms. When they bring dead people back to life and uh, have them perform today as holograms, what do you read about in the news after that? How everybody's got the heebie-jeebies. Everybody's creeped out by it. Why? Why is that? Because something's off. You can tell that the person is not quite a person. That they're resembling a person, but but it's not a person, and it sets off your your heebie-jeebie uh, reflex. So that's called the uncanny valley. And I was reading about that the other day, and I just thought that was so interesting that I'd share it with you. Before we get into today's show, let's do the announcements real quick, and then they'll be out of the way. And we don't have to worry about them no more. TheLastSymptom.com. That's my website full of free and paid resources. The the free resources I provide with great, great pleasure. The paid resources I also uh, provide with great, great pleasure. The difference with the paid resources is that they um, continue to fund what I do here and allow me to do this and continue doing it. So I appreciate you if you take uh, advantage of some of those paid resources such as uh, contacting me one-on-one and having conversations with me and stuff like that to a- answer any questions I might be able to provide you some insight on I do want to mention that this two-week intensive pre-recorded course called the last symptom fundamentals course is getting an upgrade so I'm currently doing that uh, that's why I didn't have a show last week and I've been working real hard on that uh, every night recording brand new video and audio for that what happened was when I originally recorded the last symptom fundamentals course uh, I was doing the best I knew how to do but I was doing it through zoom and this is before the the pandemic I think or right during uh, and so there was some issues with the video quality and the sound quality at times so I've just been going through chapter by chapter and re-recording brand new video and audio and really making it look brand spanking new. And uh, hopefully this will be the last time I have to record it. But I wanted to let you know about that. That uh, if you should choose to take that intensive course, which is uh, just a really a tremendous a tremendous program, I, I keep hoping that, uh, you know, it would be a wonderful thing if the professional community, all those folks selling DBT, would discover it and start saying, whoa, whoa, this this is the thing we need to be recommended to our patient community or uh, client communities or patient communities, whatever you call them. Okay, so those announcements are out of the way. Let's talk about legitimizing. Legitimizing things we should not legitimize so there's a lot of opportunities these days to burn up your time and energy and ruin your inner peace create a bunch of frustration for yourself by getting into conversations that are absolutely pointless and this is the type of conversations I'm talking about what I want to highlight is that the very act of getting into a conversation that is pointless where you perceive that a person is not being genuine so in other words they're being disingenuous there's no truth to their argument at all and there's no possibility of truth in their argument do you see how 
by simply getting into the conversation or because you can't always really distinguish a person's genuineness or their motives at the outset of a conversation but once you get into one it doesn't usually take too long once you notice that a person is being disingenuous or their motives are something other than they're even admitting to themselves do you see how by even continuing to engage in a conversation like that with somebody what you're doing is you're legitimizing on some level not only their argument but them and their intentions for the argument when I say argument I just mean discussion right I present these facts you present those facts and that's that's what I mean by argument I'm not talking about pulling <laughs> pulling people's hair and poking them in the eyes and stuff like that kicking them in the shins no I'm just talking about discussion that type of argument but you know you think about somebody pulling hair poking you in the eyes kicking you in the shins and stuff like that and you engaging in something like that that's just as pointless isn't it once once you see something going that direction you'd say well i'm not gonna why would i do that why would i why would i put myself into that situation or stay in that situation when i can just walk away from it but the point again is legitimizing stupidity legitimizing idiocy legitimizing uh, a lack of genuineness with debate simply by entering the debate if you've already perceived that it is a disingenuous debate and the person is not being genuine simply by doing that at the outset you've legitimized part of their argument for them kind of goes back to motive don't it um, in the past we've talked about how it's never necessarily the thing itself that can be considered healthy or unhealthy but rather the motivating force behind it so when I have discussions with people I'm not just listening to what they have to say I'm I'm making an analysis about their reasons for saying it what's really motivating them what what is really fueling the things they're saying or the the ideas they're presenting and stuff like that so again simple act of debating somebody or continuing within it uh, in a debate grants another person's assertions some measure of legitimacy it grants the assertions a, a measure of legitimacy and then it grants their motives some measure of legitimacy and so I take that away from people I rob them of that do it all the time and the way I do it is I simply don't don't engage in in discussions with them about it because it's a lot of them are so absurd I say for me to even um, get into a discussion about this is me saying on some level you you've got an argument there you've got a point that I need to argue against well when something's so stupid and so false it doesn't even deserve that uh, because because it's devoid of any legitimacy it's devoid of any value for example if you say to me celery can cure cancer if I'm willing to get into a deeper discussion with you on that topic the mere fact that I'm willing to discuss it further what does that indicate it indicates that I'm not completely convinced you're not wrong about that <laughs> right that I at the very least see the possibility that what you're saying could be true that's why I want to that's why I want to get into the, the the discussion I say oh now these studies have shown that that's not true and you say well actually there are some other studies that show this and I go oh well uh, 
Yeah, but why wouldn't doctors be using celery then, just injecting celery into people's veins and stuff? Well, you know, I asked myself that question too, and the reason I found is this. You see, the whole fact that I'm in the discussion legitimizes the possibility in my mind. It's, it's me granting you an assumption that perhaps you're right. Perhaps there is something to this that I don't know about. By the way, I'm not saying that celery can't cure cancer. I'm just using this as an example. So you say celery can cure cancer, and I go, oh, well, what makes you think that? Right there, I've legitimized your argument as possibly being true. There might be something to that. You might know something about celery that I don't. Or, at the very least, I believe that you're genuine in your belief, right? You're not being disingenuous with me. You're not being emotionally false uh, or emotionally dishonest. You're not being intellectually dishonest with me. You really believe it. Otherwise, if if I perceive that you don't even really believe that yourself, but for some reason you're... You're adamant about that, uh, having that argument anyway. Me getting into the argument legitimizes it. So what is the thing that tempts me to getting pulled into the debate? It's the possibility, one, that you might have a point. Two, that you're genuine. That I perceive, that I believe you're being genuine with me. So what does it mean if you say something like that to me and I go, well, okay, I'm going to go over here. You, Nice talking to you. And I just leave it. I don't even, I don't even engage in a conversation like that. What does that indicate? I don't see any possibility that you're right whatsoever. And number two, you're not being genuine with me, so I'm not going to waste my time. Why would I waste my time? You can't even be honest with yourself. How can I expect you, you're going to be honest with me? Why would I waste my time that way? Why? I don't do it. I don't do it. You know, you could take one of those things out too. You could say that I believe that you possibly might be right, but I can tell you're not being genuine with me for your, your motives for having that conversation or for bringing that subject up. I still won't have the conversation with you. I won't legitimize your disingenuine disingenuine motives. When I say legitimize, I'm saying that the purpose for it, you have a valid purpose for, for that argument or for wanting to have that discussion. Here's another thing to take into consideration. What will a person who's being genuine just naturally be inclined to do as a natural result so if they're completely genuine in their belief in their argument in their idea what will they just naturally be inclined to do as a natural result what is just a naturally recurring uh, occurring result of being genuine about a thing well isn't it true that a person who is genuine is then uh, inclined to be reasoned with? And what is a person who is naturally inclined to be reasoned with also naturally inclined for? So a person who's genuine, just a natural inclination, kind of a natural byproduct of being genuine is that you're willing to reason things out with another person. And what is just a natural byproduct of that, of that that inclination, of being inclined to reason things out with another person? What's just a natural product of that? Isn't it that you're also inclined to adjust your beliefs when somebody helps you reason in a way to see things you didn't see before? or to see things in a way you didn't see before. So 
you can see then why I don't waste time getting into de to debate with people who I perceive are not being genuine. Now, I'm not God. I can't read a person's inner self. I can't, with perfect accuracy all the time, um, detect whether a person's being genuine or not. But there are some pretty strong telltale signs, aren't there? It, it, it doesn't usually take a lot of effort to distinguish when somebody's being genuine or not. So what if somebody says to me, men can get pregnant or the earth is flat or all people of a certain race are bad or any of these things, any, any things like this. What if somebody says those things to me? By the way, none, none of these examples are unusual in t today, right? They're all around us. So what if somebody wants to have that discussion with me? Will I legitimize the idea that a man can get pregnant by getting into a discussion with somebody about that topic? Will I legitimize a person's argument that the world is flat by get, choosing to have a debate with them about it? Will I legitimize or get into a debate with somebody who wants to convince me that everybody in a certain race is are they're all bad? Will I legitimize any of these things by choosing to get into a debate with them? Remember, the very act of getting in the debate legitimizes it. It says one of one of two things, or or, or both things. First of all, I th I'm looking at you tell with a straight face. Tell me this, and I believe you're sincere. I sincere. I believe you really believe this. And number two that this assertion you're making might have some merit to it. So simply by me getting into the discussion, I'm saying you, what you're saying might have some merit to it. Otherwise, why would I waste my time? Why would I get into the, to the discussion at all? What is to be gained from it? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. When somebody asserts that men can get pregnant the earth is flat or all people in a certain race are bad that's willful stupidity willful stupidity that person is being willfully emotionally and intellectually dishonest there comes a point where if a person cannot already see the truth of a thing with all of the overwhelming evidence and facts before himself or herself then he or she is never going to see it. Why not? Is it because of a shortage of evidence? Is it because of their inability to reason or their incapability to reason? No. Think about the fact that willful, willful means that an individual actually has to exert himself or herself against what they secretly know to be true. They're choosing to willfully override what they know in favor of something false. So imagine a person is doing that. They are willfully overriding what they know, willfully, by choice. Willfully overriding what they know in order to purposely, purposefully, be emotionally and intellectually dishonest. <clears throat> so in a case like that, these people are actually exerting themselves to deny what everybody already knows is true or false. And why do they do this? Why would a person actually exert themselves? So 
it's it's not like um well it's like this there's an apple lying there it's right there all i gotta do is pick it up that that makes sense right in fact it's almost like well why wouldn't you pick it up it's right there but what do you, what if you have to um, sneak through a a field of uh, angry bulls, fight them off, run away from them. Uh, there's a pack of wolves around a tree. You got to get through that, climb up the tree up to the very top branch to get the apple. A person who goes through all that really wants that apple don't they <laughs> this this is not like the apples just sitting there on the table and you just pick it up a person who's willing to exert themselves to that extent for that apple they they want that apple you're not going to talk them out of it that's what i'm talking about when i'm talking about willful stupidity willful ignorance willful purposeful emotional dishonesty and intellectual dishonesty these people are exerting themselves for that this is not like it's just so easy and they don't have to do anything no the easier thing would just to be to say to see the truth these people are willfully exerting themselves so that they don't have to see the truth or accept the truth so Willful means an individual actually has to exert himself or herself against what they secretly know to be true. They know, they know that the earth is not flat, and they know that people, men can't have babies. They know, on some level, that all people of a single race are not all bad. They are willfully choosing to override what they know in favor of this fake truth and so again why do they do it they do it because of their feelings they do it because of their feelings these are people who determine reality with their feelings we talk about that so much here don't we you do not reality doesn't care about your feelings one way or another nothing is determined by your no reality is determined by your feelings right that's the very foundation of emotional health the very foundation of emotional health is to stop this determining reality through feelings uh, what is another term for determining reality with with feelings denial it's it's the very th it that's what denial is remember we've had this discussion a million times before so not even though this might seem like a um, a controversial discussion we're having here it shouldn't be we're not discussing here any principles or laws here that we've not discussed before in the past 100 million trillion times I've described how denial is when you can look at a thing it can be right there under your nose and yet you can be denying it uh, you can be choosing to not see it because why because you don't like how it makes you feel um, and in the past I've used the example of like my dad and um, the abuse you know I, I was I was abused my entire life never saw it as abuse why? Because I didn't like how it felt to view my parents that way as abusers. Because I love my parents. And so to view them as abusers was painful for me. So I denied that it was abuse. That's one way of talking about denial. It's right there. It's right under your nose. Plain as day. You can't see it because you don't like how that reality makes you feel or that truth then another interesting aspect of denial is that uh, <clears throat> you can see th a something there that's not there at all so you want a thing to be there you want a reality to be but it's not so you see it anyway Bo both are just denial 
And so now we're talking about this subject. Why people exert themselves to deny what everybody already knows is true and false. Why do they do it? Because of their feelings. And how do you explain that? Because they determine reality with their feelings. So, can you reason with such a person? No. Because what what is required for reasoning with somebody? What do you, what the let's let's ask this. What tool in the human toolbox do you use for reason? To reason things out. What tool do you use for that? Analytical and critical thought. That's what you use for reason. So the people we're describing who would try to engage you in a, in a disingenuous discussion like that, are they open or receptive to reason? We've already established they are not. They are determining their realities with what? With their critical and analytical thinking? No, it's, it's emotions, their feelings. And what are they mired in? Denial. You see, the very act of reasoning involves using analytical, analytical and critical thought to try to see the truth. But the, the sorts of people we're talking about aren't using their analytical and critical thinking to try to ri- arrive at the truth. They're using their feelings to do that. And feelings weren't designed for that. Have never had that uh, purpose in life. And have never, were never meant to um, perform that function. So it's not possible to reason with a person who's being like that. I'm not saying they are that. I'm saying they're being that, that way. right? And it's interesting that a person who is being that, that way, who you say, you know what, I'm not going to legitimize th- this absurdity by getting into a discussion with you about this. But... If I bump into you the next time, we'll see We'll see then. And then, so you go away, you part ways, and you come back, and the person might be, might be genuine on that next occasion. You never know. Might be more receptive to reason. But at the time that you're having a conversation with somebody and they're not open to reason, don't, don't do it. <laughs> don't get pulled in. There's no reason to. It's the cost-benefit thing. What's the cost? And, you know, when you're playing the cost-benefit game, you got to think of cost in cost of anything. Time is a cost. Um, inner tranquility is a cost. Think about the energy. You know, everything we do in life requires energy, doesn't it? It's requiring energy for me to record this podcast. It's require, it requires me energy to sit down and read a book. It's just how do you want to spend your energy? Because we all have a finite amount of it. Uh, I don't know about you, but I personally try to to measure out where my energy goes. And if it's going somewhere completely pointless, I try to turn that turn that spigot off pretty quick. By the way, do I have to be mean about it? Just because um, I won't allow myself to get sucked into a pointless discussion with somebody who I perceive as not being um, uh, genuine or emotionally or intellectually honest with himself or herself, much less me, do I have to be mean about not engaging with a person like that no I don't have to be mean about it I just don't engage happens all the time I just don't engage if I engage with it it legitimizes again to to an extent it legitimizes the argument they have and their purposes for having the argument so I don't have to be mean me not engaging with a conversation like that or just not responding to it 
is not mean. It's not rude. I'm not obligated to talk about anything I don't want to talk about. So I don't, you know, I wouldn't say, oh, you're so stupid. That's the stupidest thing I ever heard. You're stupid. I wouldn't say it. I just wouldn't engage. I wouldn't debate. I wouldn't get even started in the debate. And if I'm already in the debate, before I realize uh, the quicksand that I'm in, I just turn around. I come. I go out the way I come in. I just stop. I just don't continue engaging in the debate. So, <clears throat> the the types of folks we're talking about, and I'm not equating the folks with what they're doing. So you know, keep that in mind. Um, when I'm talking about disingenuous people, I'm not talking about like that that's their inherent state what I really mean by that is that they're being disingenuous not that they themselves are disingenuous and uh, a person who you pass on a conversation with like that uh, in the future you might come across them again and they might be more you might perceive that they're being more intellectually honest and emotionally honest and, and genuine with you then it might be worth revisiting that a conversation like that. But as long as somebody's not being genuine with me, I, I'm not going to waste my time on a conversation with that person. So that applies to anybody who I perceive <clears throat> is forming their argument out of feelings. So they feel they like the way a thing feels, so it must be true. They don't like the way another thing feel, makes them feel, so it can't be true. I don't engage in a conversation with somebody who's being like that. Because again, there's no point to it. People who are using their feelings to determine what they want the, the quote-unquote truth to be, then conjuring up fantastical imaginative narratives to explain it. And usually it involves... Um, really twisting words around the meanings of words around uh, and things like that very disingenuous very emotionally dishonest very intellectually dishonest changing the meaning of words um, and things of that nature sleight of hand and um, uh, abusing nuance and at the same time rejecting any reasoning that conflicts with what they want to be true. You see, th this is not by accident. <laughs> this is not like, oh, I just don't know what I'm talking about or I don't know what I'm doing. No, this is willful. It's on purpose. People who are in this state of thinking, this emotional thinking, they are determined to deny the truth no matter what. Remember, it's purposeful, willful, disingenuous denial we're talking about here. So once it's clearly apparent that a person is purposefully, willfully, disingenuously embracing denial, what is the only thing, the only thing, literally the only thing that can come out of debating with them? Well, it's nothing positive. Nothing positive for you. Nothing positive for them either because it really hurts them in the long run. But it legitimizes their argument. That's the, that's the thing that comes out of you debating with them. It legitimate, legitimizes their argument. Simply choosing to debate them at all legitimizes their argument to a degree. It says, I view your pretend belief as something worth my time and energy getting into a conversation about. I have a memory when I was probably 10 or 11. Uh, this show was on TV called uh, Night Rider. A lot of you might remember it. It was uh, Michael Knight. <laughs> um, what was his name? He was also in Baywatch. Uh, Hoff, Hoffman? Or I can't remember the actor's name. Anyway, he drove this high-tech car. It was a Trans Am, I think, called Kit. And he could talk to Kit on his watch. I was playing with some cousins of mine. 
I have a very clear memory of this. I have a, not only a clear memory of what I did and said and all that, but I remember I have a perfectly clear memory of what I was thinking, what my intentions were during this experience. I had a digital watch, and we were playing up on top of the roof of this shed, and I was playing like I was Michael Knight, and that I could talk, that I had a, a car, uh, a secret car that nobody knew about, that was Kit, and I could talk to my car on my watch. And at first my cousins were like, oh, you're, that's, you're out of your mind. I no, I can't, I can't. Now, the more convincing I got, the less convinced they were that that I was lying about the whole thing. Actually, at that time when we were playing that game, I was telling myself, if I believe it, if I can just convince myself of it, then they'll be convinced of it too. And I mean, I was really getting close to convincing myself that I had an actual car. This is the imagination of children, right? Somewhere hiding behind the trees and that I could talk to that car on my watch. Now, I secretly knew I absolutely did not own a car. I could not talk to the car with my watch. But but I was selling it as good as I could. Willing myself, trying to will myself into believing it was true, even though I knew it wasn't true. And trying to convince my cousins, who were a few years younger than me, maybe four years younger than me. I remember talking to my cousin Willie, saying, do you believe it? Do you Because you got to believe it that I can, really can talk to Kit on my watch. Yeah, I believe it, I said. But I could see in his eyes that he didn't really believe me. So I kept pushing him. I kept pushing him to believe me for real, for real believe me, that I can talk to my car Kit on my wristwatch. It was like I wasn't going to be happy until I had convinced this poor kid that I could talk, convince this poor kid of something that I knew wasn't true at all. But I wanted it to be true. And some part of me said that if I can convince other people to, to believe that this is true, then it'll be closer to being true. Something to think about there, huh? You look around at the world of people doing this today, grown people doing this, and you, you think to yourself, why are they doing that? for the same reason I was doing it the more people you can sell on it first of all you know it's not true but you want it to be true the more you can convince yourself that it's true and forget that it's not true you believe that the more true it is the more people you can can get on board with you and convince them to buy into this whole phony baloney stuff and be sold on it then your motion your feelings say the more people out that I can convince of this then the more true it will be but is that true 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 it just seems like I'm saying true a lot is that true it's not any more to being true than it was at the beginning Feelings don't determine reality. The truth is the truth no matter how you feel about it. Things are the way they are no matter how we feel about it. Um, anything less than accepting that and seeing that and understanding that is what? It's denial. It's just denial. So... <clears throat> That's what I was practicing up on the top of that shed when I was trying to talk to uh, Kit on my wristwatch. I was really practicing hard how fully I could embrace denial and how, how fully I could reject acceptance. Acceptance being that this is just all pretend. It's always just going to all be pretend. I'm never going to have had a car in the woods whilst playing up on top of this roof that I could talk to on my wristwatch. 
So when somebody tells me something like men can get pregnant or the tooth fairy is real, they're not fooling me. I know what they're doing. Maybe more importantly, I know why they're doing it. And I don't legitimize stupid, fake, imaginary arguments. I don't legitimize them by getting pulled into an argument about whether or not the person's right or wrong. Uh, because an argument like that doesn't deserve that. It doesn't deserve that at all. It does not deserve me uh, a second of my energy, a second of my attention, a second of my time. You might think that I'm wasting my time or you know that I'm, I'm being pulled into that discussion here today on this episode of the Last Sentence Podcast. No, because the discussion is not the argument itself. The discussion is, is around motives, genuineness, um, denial, and acceptance, not the arguments themselves, not the arguments themselves that I'm using as examples. I don't lend legitimacy to stupid arguments that are built entirely on denial. I absolutely don't debate with people once I recognize that they aren't being emotionally or intellectually honest with themselves, much less with me. If a person's not being emotionally honest with himself or herself, what hope do I have getting into a conversation with them? Are they going to be emotionally honest and intellectually honest with me? If they're not even being emotionally honest or intellectually honest with themselves? Of course not. Of course not. I don't, I don't burn away my time pointlessly like that. Once I recognize that somebody isn't being emotionally or intellectually honest with themselves or with me, and I'm already in a conversation with them, I've, I've, now I look down, I'm ankle deep in quicksand. I don't just stand there. I just don't keep standing there. There's no benefit to it. I get out of the, the conversation. Oh, okay, I say. I I see where you're going with this. Okay, well, um, boy, it sure is a nice day today. Hey, um, weren't, wasn't your mother sick? How's your mother doing? You see, I, I get out of the conversation. I will not legitimize your idiocy by continuing down that road <laughs> I just won't there's no point to it I don't believe you I don't believe your motives for, for saying you believe that I don't believe that you believe it really and I'm just not you know like my cousin Willie I'm standing there oh you can talk to kid on your watch huh okay alright good luck with that good luck with that <clears throat> but I'm just, I just want out I, I don't I don't I don't want anything to do with it. You're wasting my time. You're wasting my time. I could be doing something else right now. I could actually be having a constructive conversation with somebody about something else right now. Why would I spend it on you and this conversation? I'm not going to do it. So I just choose not to throw my time and energy away in such a pointless and worthless way. Uh, story. You folks know about my friend, old Lambert. I'll tell you something about Lambert. Back in grade school, I remember Disney. On Friday nights, Disney used to have like a show or they would run one of their classic movies on TV, on, on like Antenna TV, you know, uh, public or broadcast television. And on one Friday night, they run uh, Dumbo, the Disney movie Dumbo. I can't remember if it was before Dumbo or after Dumbo. They ran a little animated short called Lambert. Lambert, the sheepish lion, Lambert. Do any of you remember that? Lambert, the sheepish lion, Lambert. Um, so I saw that uh, with my family, and I was thinking, oh, my, my buddy Lambert is going to find that hilarious 
So on the school bus on Monday, I got on. I said, hey, Lambert. Man, he looked at me serious as, a, as serious as could be. He says, Brian, don't say that. I don't like that. And I could tell in his face he was not joking. He didn't think it was funny. It really bothered him. And uh, I said, okay. And, you know, I really cared for him as a friend. So I never said it again. Never asked him about it even. He was that serious about it. And I thought, well, that, that's really a sensitive thing for him. So uh, the years went by, and uh, I think it was just like a year ago. Remember, we, we went without staying in touch for like 20 years and just reconnected here in the last five, six years. So about a year ago, I remembered Dad. Uh, he was here visiting me. We were watching baseball. I said, hey, I got to, you mind if I ask you something? Yeah, sure, buddy, go ahead. You remember, I got on the bus that uh, that Monday after they showed Dumbo on TV, and I said, "Hey, Lambert, and you, you were it bothered you. You said, don't say that. I don't like that. And I never said it again. Never asked you about it. I said, but what's the whole story behind that? He said, well, I don't know. He said, it just, it really bothered me. He said, well, I saw that too on Friday night, that Friday night. He remembered it. He remembered that exact experience. Boy, he's got a memory. He can remember things I can't remember. Uh, things I said did, things we all said did, that my memory has, uh, that has faded from my memory. But uh, he said, I watched that also, the Dumbo on that Friday night and when they showed that Lambert the Sheepish Lion short, he said, I was just petrified. He said, I knew I was going to go to school, and that was all I was going to hear. Yeah. So, anyway, um, that's not the story I was going to tell you. The story I was going to tell you was that, if you'll remember, Lambert and there was another kid named Alan Marshman and me, we were best friends in school. So, uh, in grade school, I come in one Monday and Alan comes up to my desk. He says, Hey, have you seen Brian Lambert? I said, no, I haven't seen him. He says, well, oh, here's another thing about that. Brian Lambert had been absent from school for like days the, the week before. So I hadn't seen him for days weekend come gone then we were back in school uh, Alan comes up to me on that Monday he says have you seen Lambert I said no I haven't seen him he says well you're not going to believe this but uh, I got bad news and he looked at me so serious and um, just very serious he says uh, he doesn't have a voice I said what do you mean he doesn't have a voice well he had uh, you know like strep throat and everything and it took his voice and he can't talk. I said, he can't talk? Well, one of the best things I like about my buddy Lambert is hearing him talk and uh, him laugh and stuff like that. Uh, just brings me a lot of joy. He's such a comical, humorous guy. Always positive, too. I mean, if you can believe it, his uh, stepdad, Steve, died shortly after I moved here in a t-top was driving a t-top down the back roads and ended up flipping it and i mean it r practically ripped his head off uh they found him and uh, torn up on the road torn up because the thing had flipped it was a t-top so it didn't have the top on it and it, so his head just scraped alongside the road it killed him and uh, they when the emergency crews got there and everything they called lambert up and he come down there to identify him, the car and everything. And he saw his stepdad there. But even him relating that story, you know, even when he gets sad, he's positive and upbeat. Even in tra with tragedy, he's able to handle it with just such finesse. I mean, it's things like that that would, like, crush and just demolish another person. I've talked to him about that, too, because... I know that not always what you see like on the outside of a person 
is what they're really experiencing. And, and if I poke and prod him, I can get down to some serious stuff. And and he'll get serious and melancholy for a second. But I mean, it's just for a second. He really is. That's just part of his nature is to be positive and upbeat and even in the face of tragedy and stuff like that. Um, I gave him a book as a gift here. Uh, I told you folks that I was reading this book called The Frontiersman by Alan Eckert. Oh, man, just a fantastic book. And surely a lot of the historical characters and figures in that book are ancestors of mine and his because, you know, we've we've been around here for a long time, uh, our people. So I bought him a hard back copy of that book and I wrote an inscription on the inside just telling him just what he means to me and how dear of a friend he is and I wanted to take it out to him but he kept saying no I'll come over to your place and he come over had his son with him and I gave him the gift I had it all boxed up and everything and when he got that out he opened that up he goes oh there's a description on here and he started reading and I saw he, he his body just get so serious. Face got serious. He was totally absorbed in the note that I had written on the on the inner part of the book. And when he got done, he looked up at me. He he had water in his eyes. He he was uh, it had teared him up. He oh he said you know brother I feel the same way, and. Uh, you know, we gave each other a manly hug. You know what a manly hug is? For those of you watching here on Rumble or, or uh, YouTube, it's it's where you hug, but not quite. You you still maintain plenty of distance from the rest of your body, so it's just like the upper part of your body touches, and you do two pats on the back, don't don't, and then you you let each other go, and you're done. That's that's the manly. <laughs> that's the manly hug. We gave him each other a manly hug. Anyway, he come Lambert or uh, Alan come up to me. Says Lambert's lost his voice. I said, "Well, for how long?" I, they, they don't know. He says, "They don't know." You mean he might never get his voice back? Alan said, "That's from what I understand." Well, then Brian Lambert comes in. I go up to him. I'm like, "Hey, are you okay?" I, I'm. Alan tells me you don't have a voice and he uh, he motions for a pencil so I bring him a pencil and he takes a piece of paper and he writes me a note yeah I can't talk my, my voice is gone I said well how long is it going to be gone the, and then he writes the doctors don't know they say it might never come back I teared up I literally teared up it made me so sad to think that my buddy who I just love hearing talk and tell stories and stuff so much. I had lost his voice. This was in uh, uh, fourth grade, I think. And I went up that whole day, and I was just like, I don't know how to describe it. I was really sad. I was going into a depression over the fact that my friend uh, might never have his voice again. And then it come to lunchtime, and I had been this way the whole day long, and uh, Lambert comes up to me and with a perfect voice says, "Hey, what did you bring for lunch?" And I, what, what, I did you what? What's going on here? I thought you, you didn't have your voice. It turned out to be a big practical joke. <laughs> Alan and Lambert <laughs> had gotten together that morning and had uh, worked out the details of their practical joke that they were going to tell me that, that he had lost his voice. And man, they sold it good. They sold it really good. But I was so relieved. I said, you idiot. I can't believe you. Do you know I, you had me crying? I couldn't believe it. I was, I was really upset over that whole thing. Oh, they laughed and laughed and laughed. And I, of course, I laughed too. And uh, so that's a story we tell from time to time. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining me this week. I hope you have a wonderful week. End. And remember to do something nice for yourselves. It doesn't have to be anything elaborate. It could be something very simple. I Time with my guitar. Oh, Juanita.
will be enough to make me feel like I'm doing something nice for myself. That's what I might do this weekend. And uh, why don't you hop there, join us there on Locals, the last symptom.locals.com, or download the Locals.com app from the App Store and join the, the Last Symptom online community and tell us all about your weekend and what your plans are and what you're going to do. Get some ideas, share some ideas, and I will see you next week. Take care. Mm-hmm.